Millville, Atlantic City, 97.3 ESPN. This is the Sports Bash with Mike Gill on 97.3 ESPN. Now, live inside the Matt Black Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. All right, it's after three on a Friday. I'm Mike Gill. Hunter Brody. Josh Henning producing the show. Sal Pal Friday here on the Sports Bash. You'll join us in just a couple of moments as we uh, get you ready for the Eagles and the Packers. And this Eagles, this play-calling thing I found to be very interesting today. Obviously, Doug Peterson met with the media. There's a couple changes as well. Jack Driscoll's going to start at right tackle. Those things seem to be a little inconsequential when you really look at the big picture here, man. But... Why, oh, why would all of a sudden this story about Doug Peterson and the play calling come out? Why would that be? What do they have to gain from this? What do they have to kind of, who would benefit the most from saying, hey, we're going to put out there that Doug hasn't been calling all the plays. I don't know that I can get to the bottom of this yet. You don't think the answer is Doug Peterson would benefit the most? Because if it looks this ugly and it's not him, well, it's almost like, hold on, wait that wasn't me. Okay, but what did the powers that be know who's calling plays? Would you repeat that again? What did the powers that be, Jeffrey Laurie, Howie Roseman, in other words, what did Peterson's superiors know who's calling the plays to say, well, if you leak this out that you're not calling the plays, in other words, they would know who's calling yeah, the, the play. So right. he has no benefit to leak that well, pu- story out there if they already didn't know that. So well, publicly. It would be more of a public vision than an ownership vision. Like the owners, yes, you're right. The owners would know. But the, he's getting crushed, crushed from a lot of people, media, public, fans. Maybe it was more of a public draw. Look, I'm not doing this. Well, do you think that... Okay, so then did the owner and the GM, and they do everything collaboratively. Did they all come together and say, well, we need to put out there that you're not calling the place? No, but I bet you there's a lot of times in sports where things get slipped by mistake, and boom, sure. there's a piece, there's sure. an article. Well, ESPN's Sal Pal Antonio will join us now on a Sal Pal Friday. We'll kind of get his take on uh, what he thinks the message is here, where um, all of a sudden, you know, Sal... This week, Doug Peterson's getting roasted. He's getting asked in press conferences, hey, your job security, have you been assured by the owner? I mean, they're really coming after him. And then it gets out that, oh, by the way, Doug Peterson conveniently isn't calling all the plays, just maybe some of the plays. And then Doug today was, well, I'm still the play caller. I don't know who this benefits, but do you find the timing to be very odd? No, I don't find the timing to be odd. I find the circumstances to be odd. Um, first of all, you know, it doesn't matter who calls the plays. It's who's designing these plays. That's the most important thing. And um, from what I have seen and what I know, Press Taylor as the quarterback's coach and passing coordinator has been basically collaborating with the design of these plays all along. So I don't see a press Taylor as a solution to anything, really. Mm -hmm. I know they're very high on him. Uh, I know that the league is very high on him. There are certain people who think that press Taylor is the next uh, Matt LaFleur or Sean McVay, a young 
you know, offensive coordinator who could be a head coach with the right quarterback situation. But so far, I haven't seen much in the way of coaching of Carson Wentz that has had any impact this year. So, to me, it's like who's designing these plays and who's who's coaching Carson Wentz. And if you have a passing coordinator, Mike Gill, who's helping to call the plays, how does that help the run game? The Eagles had 83% pass plays last last week against Seattle. 83% last week against Seattle. 83% of the plays called were pass plays. So how does that help the run game? Yeah. I don't understand this, really. I really don't. Yeah, not a recipe for success. They run the ball almost uh, the least amount of times out of everybody in the league, and yet their best weapon is a running back, right? So it seems like malpractice the way they're using Miles Sanders. Now, the game last year against Green Bay, they went up there on a Thursday night, Sal, and ran the ball 33 times uh, and, and really had yeah. a lot of success. They did, but it was a different offensive line, and uh, the Packers' defense – wasn't as good. Now, they're not great against the run. But I don't think the Eagles will be able to exploit that very much in this game. Their offensive line is just too, too much of a mess. The first thing that goes when you have injuries on the offensive line, you know this, Mike, it's chemistry. Mm-hmm. It's, it, it's a very intricate ballet, a very intricate physical ballet on the offensive line. And these guys have to work together for a while before they really understand movements of one another, and especially in the run game. Pass blocking is a different situation. I mean, you can study stunts and different things like that and tendencies that teams have. But in order to really run the ball, you have to have an intricate working knowledge of one another over a long period of time. How much, Sal, is that offensive line and the issues and the constant changing, how much does that affect the play caller, you know, because everybody keeps wondering, why don't you do this with Wentz? Why don't you move him out more? Why don't you do more of this? How much can the play caller be affected by the fact that, hey, I'd like to do this, but my offensive line can't handle it? It's an easy excuse, Mike. It's an easy excuse. The bottom line is when you call pass plays 83% of the time, that's coaching malfeasance. There's no excuse for that. Now, I could see if it's 60-40 or 50-50, yeah. but 83-17, come on, Mike. Oh, no, look, there's no – for Sanders to touch the ball they six last, times. They are last tendency, by the way, not next pass. They're last. They're last in the league in run tendency. So you're basically telegraphing what you're going to do offensively. And when you do that, I mean, these are smart players, smart coaches on defense around the National Football League. They can see it coming. They can smell it a mile away. They sure can, and the offense uh, appears that uh, they are not finding their way out of this thing, no matter who's calling the plays, no matter who's designing the plays. And you mentioned it last week, that you don't see Peterson uh, surviving a three- or four-win type of season. There have been some that suggested that he doesn't care whether he survives this or not, that he has the look of a guy, Sal, that knows, eh, I got another opportunity waiting for me, and I don't need to be here in Philly and put up with this stuff. I want a Super Bowl here. I, I-, I don't need this anymore. Mike, I'm not going to play that kind of pop psychology with anybody, especially you. You're too smart for that. But here's the bottom line. Let's, let's, let's examine this. Howie Roseman, 
The general manager of this team is represented by an agent out in California by the name of Bob Lamont. I know him very well. He's super successful. Doug Peterson is represented by Bob Lamont. Press Taylor is represented by Bob Lamont. Everybody knows that Press Taylor is being groomed to be a young head coach in this league. So the question is, is Press Taylor going to be a head coach in Philadelphia, or is he going to be a head coach Hmm. somewhere else? No, that's no, that's right there is interesting because you know then it would be like, hey, we need to see this guy calling plays. You know, that's where that whole dynamic kind of comes in. But you know, this theme last week, um, the same. This is the same thing that Andy Reid did with Peterson and Matt Nagy, right? And he's doing with Eric Bieniemy. I mean, the bottom line is, you know, Press Taylor is the guy closest to Carson Wentz. And Mike, how much real improvement have we seen? In Carson Wentz, very, very little, if at all. Yeah. In fact, you could say that he's been regressive. You say the word improvement doesn't seem to uh, be valid in this conversation. Right. <laughs> so there's a lot of dynamics here, and there, some of them are diametrically opposed to one another. But the bottom line is that when you have a, a committee like they have in Philadelphia and have that all season long, once Mike Rowe was fired as the offensive coordinator, Rich Gangarella comes in, Marty Morningway comes in, Deuce Daly has a hand in it, Jeff Stoutland has a hand in it as the offensive line coach, Press Taylor has a hand in it. It is, as Peterson said, a collaborative effort. And some people would argue that that's the problem. Yeah. No, it, it's been by committee, and and, and and the result is that nobody has accountability or responsibility for improving anything. Right, exactly. I was just going to say, and the result is that nobody can point the finger directly at somebody because there's too many hands in the cookie jar. And that's everything, Sal. That's on draft day. That's on uh, the offseason. No one can definitively say, hey, so-and-so with authority made this pick. It's always uh, there's always some sort of ambiguity, uh, you know, uh, ambiguous of who ambiguity or cons- consensus, right? Consensus breeds ambiguity. Correct. Yeah, I've been off the last two days, so, let's so my go back, let's go back to your let's go back to your original question because it's the perfect question to ask. Okay, what impact is this going to have? Well, we know Press Taylor is the quarterbacks coach closest to Carson Wentz. We know this team has been throwing the ball and ignoring the running game. So we also know that the play designs have been the problem as much as the play calling. So against the Packers, what should we see in order to see an offense that runs better, overall more productive and efficient? One, that 83-17 percentage, 83% call pass plays, 17% call run plays, should be drastically changed. One. Two. The play design should be changed so that Carson Wentz is moving out of the pocket, is on the move, and is not a static player in the pocket, and so that the defensive line can tee off on the Eagles' injured offensive line. And three, most important, Carson Wentz should see open receivers and throw the ball to them accurately. We should see improvements in all three of those areas. I would take two out of three. In fact, I would take one out of three at this point. 
there's a lot of problems, and you just kind of hit on a lot on the inaccuracies, the indecisiveness, the play design, the play calls, the inability to get open, the offensive line's a problem. You know what, Sal? It sounds like we're just talking about a real bad football team. And you have that from time to time. Uh, you just wonder, does the ownership and the front office feel like this is just a one-year thing, or are they seeing a trend here? Well, see, what well, the thing is, last week we heard Jalen Hurts took more snaps with the first team across and went off the field. And that was going to manifest itself against Seattle. Did not happen. This week, we are hearing that Press Taylor is going to help out with play calling and a collaborative effort with Doug Peterson. So I'm interested to see, I think every fan of the team is interested to see, how is that going to manifest itself in improvement? Play design? More run plays called? Better quarterback play? What are we going to see? What is going to be the results of this very subtle change with yeah. Press Taylor, or is it just to groom Press Taylor as a future head coaching candidate, either here or somewhere else? Yeah. Uh, I feel like they're trying to serve a couple masters here. You know, they release Will Parks. They say they want to check out younger guys, but then they play Alshon Jeffrey when they got all these younger guys. It's like they want to, I don't know, they want to serve two masters in this situation, and it just it's a recipe for uh, a mess, and that's what this season has turned into, man. Well, you know, now you've got a game against the Packers. And, you know, Greg Cosell on the matchup show has a great piece breaking down just how good Aaron Rodgers has been this year uh, in terms of Matt LaFleur's design and Aaron Rodgers' execution and the talent they have and the protection they have of Aaron Rodgers. And when you see that, you're thinking to yourself, and we, we just we just hit the show at NFL Films a couple hours ago. And it'll be on this weekend on ESPN2 on Saturday and ESPN. I would invite people to really take a look at it because there you're looking at a football team. That's completely different from the Eagles. They function properly with a quarterback who can put the ball where he wants it at all times. It's like they're playing in a different league, a different game. Well, yep, you, you just mentioned it. It looks like when you watch the Packers play that they're not on the same level and, uh, well – you see this, six and a half was the spread. It's up to nine. So it seems like everybody out there agrees that they're on oh, two. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Nine, eight and a half, eight and a half, nine uh, across the board uh, at most places there. All right. There you go. Eagles, Packers. Uh, Eagles obviously still kind of hanging around this division race here, which is uh, embarrassing, but they're in it. Uh, how do we, you know, last. Hey, Mike, I got a question for you. I got a question. What's Washington? And Pittsburgh, what's the spread on that right now? That opened at that seven. Yeah, plus seven. It's kind of off the board everywhere now. Uh, it's uh, why? It's, what's going on? What are we? I don't hear anything. What's happening? I don't know. I just uh, it opened at seven. It's on the books at BetMGM at seven, and everywhere else it's not available. I heard it was kind of a little reverse line movement. Somebody knows something, but I, I'll tell you this. I like Washington a lot. Not a little, a lot in that game. A lot. Well, Baltimore, and then you got Baltimore playing on a Wednesday and then a Tuesday and then on a Sunday. I mean, this team here. Yeah. That's, that's, and by the way, they're a a seven and a half point favorite against Dallas. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Washington game is really interesting because Dallas is not going to win the division. Washington, if they beat Pittsburgh on Monday, they will win the division. That's an important game for yes. Eagles, Giants, everybody. Giants, by the way, are a 
Giants are plus 11 against Seattle. So all three teams, uh, you know, all three teams are, are big underdogs. So obviously if the Eagles lose, they're all they're still all going to be in this thing. Yeah, but not if Washington wins. If Washington Watch wins, Washington right. Game. Yeah, no, Washington beats Pittsburgh. I don't know if they'll beat them, but Pittsburgh doesn't have Bud Dupree. Marquise Pouncey is a, is a major question mark. And when you have Marquise Pouncey calling the protections against that Washington front seven. Oh, yeah. All right. Uh, so, last thir- last year on a Thursday night, they went up there and played their best game, most complete game. Did we get a repeat, or is this an ugly one? Mike, I hope it's a repeat. I really do. I know. I really do. I hope we see something out of Prestale. And I hope they have some kind of change in what they do and how they do it offensively. I think we all do, but I don't see it happening. I, I, I think the Eagles will lose this game 27-17. to 27-17 That's Sal Palantonio. Call the Griner team at Burger Realty for all your Ocean City, Upper Township real estate needs. They present Sal Pal Friday with over 35 years of excellence. You know, I'm off all week. I only come in on Friday just to talk to you. Oh, man. I'll tell you, I look forward to this. Everybody I know from uh, from Ocean County all the way down to Maryland, they're telling me I'm getting texts from people I didn't even know existed, friends of mine all over the Delaware Shore, Jersey Shore. And thank you to Johnny G and the Griner team at Burger Realty for supporting my appearance on the Mike Gill Show. Uh, you know, everybody says, Mike, you have a great show, and uh, I'm honored to be on it. Well, I appreciate it as always, and uh, we will see how this turns out, and we will reconvene same bat channel, same bat time next week. Thank you, pal. Okay, brother. All right, Sal Pal Antonio, Sal Pal Friday here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. That's a uh, grim outlook. Does not think it's going to go very well. Wants to see Press Taylor. This whole Press Taylor thing I think is interesting. It's almost as if now he's calling the plays, not just some of them. He's going to get the chance. Did you get that from that conversation? Yeah, it adds another element to our back and forth for sure. And I still want to know how much did he have in what we've seen so far, right? His input, how much has that been in play? Because that would change how I feel about what's been happening, no doubt. I mean, that's big news. Just another blur into this season. Weekdays from 2 to 6, South Jersey's number one sports talk radio show on 97.3 ESPN-FM. All right. Thanks to Sal Pal. Sal Pal Antonio, of course, every Friday here on the Sports Bash, 97.3 ESPN. Chad Millman from the Action Network. We're going to look at some of the uh, matchups for Sunday and Monday and Tuesday. Any Wednesday games this week? They'll probably pop up at some point. I would like the uh, if they just keep populating the, the calendar, like give us that in the futures. Wednesday. Did they, you like you know, that, Tuesday. though? 340 kind of threw me off a bit. Well, you guys were working. I wasn't. That's true. So I liked it. Coffee and uh, football. Sure. And then I had the West Virginia-Gonzaga game Ooh, right afterwards. What a Wednesday lineup for you. It was great. All right. Let's get into it. Uh, Chad Millman. The Action Network, actionnetwork.com. I'm looking at some interesting lines here, including that Eagle Packer one, which has moved all over the place. But we'll start off 
Uh, first off, let's bring in Chad Millman. How are you, pal? I'm good, fellas. How are you? That Gonzaga game the other night, I, I, I love this college team. I know we're not talking about college, but I love Gonzaga. It's hard not to have a soft spot in your heart for that program. And, like, they finally get to the top. They are, like, treated as a legit major program with incredible talent. They get Jalen Suggs, their highest recruit ever. And when he went down the other night, I, I actually I felt legitimately sad until I heard the news the next day that he was okay and, like, he was going to be fine if he came back into the game or whatever. But, man, that just... Yeah, it looked ugly at first. At first, yeah. it looked pretty bad, and then uh, he came back. It didn't even look. Uh, he didn't look all that healthy when he came back in, but I guess he was all right. So, um, but yeah, it was uh, that that Gonzaga team to me is by far and away the best team in the country. And then uh, Baylor, and then uh, the number three team. They're all going to fight all year. Uh, those two teams will play tonight, so that should be fun. But let's yeah. look at the uh, big boys on Sunday here. All right, so let's throw this one your way. Um, Giants plus ten. At the uh, at the Seahawks, it's up to eleven. It started at ten, and you got the the Giants coming off that game last week where they struggled to beat a bad Bengals team, and double digits in the NFL is kind of tough. But I feel like I like Seattle here. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's a pass. Like I, I, Seattle's defense is actually getting much much better since they got Carlos Dunlap. They're getting significant pressure. Jamal Adams has been really good at blitzing the quarterback. So their defense overall is starting to improve a little bit. And, but I get very nervous betting on veteran QBs who are getting a full week of practice uh, playing against mediocre defenses in which the entire public is on the favorite. It just sets a bad precedent. And Colt McCoy has just been around long enough that he knows how to manufacture enough points and enough drives to keep it close enough, to keep it in the, in the backdoor cover range. And I, I'm averse to betting on the Giants anyways. Like with, with Danny Jones, the quarterback, I just don't think he's very good. And so it puts you in a bad spot. Give me now needing to root for the Giants in a backdoor scenario. Uh, I don't like it. But I don't trust the uh, – I don't like uh, the 11. It's too much. Yeah, I, I, I kind of zone in, I feel like, in the NFL on these double-digit games because I, you don't see it that often. The Dolphins opened at 10.5 against that Bengals team who you know has terrible quarterback play. Now, the line is up to 12 in certain spots. It's 11.5 in most places. But can I really – I feel like I asked you every week, can I trust the Dolphins? They put them in such odd spots. They're a favorite on the road. Now it's a double-digit favorite. They, you know, they were, We couldn't trust them, and I think we all agreed that week against Denver that that was a spot we couldn't trust them. How about this spot? I was more trustful at 10.5. Uh, at uh, not so much at 11.5 as it, as it inches higher. You said you're seeing a little bit of 12. I'm, I haven't seen that, but uh, let me. Uh, you should go to the actionnetwork.com. I'm, I'm just going. I'm just going <laughs> to the tab here to compare it's odds. Twelve at actionnetwork.com. It's, it's twelve at BetMGM. Eleven and a half everywhere else. Got it. So I, um, I don't like a double-digit favorite here either. Like it's too much, and especially when I feel like honestly, I just see games on the board I like a lot better. And you say you tend to look first at the double-digit games. I tend to look at home dogs first and like, how do I feel about home dogs, especially short home dogs? And there are a few of those on the board 
um, that I like, and there's one that I actually don't like. Well, how about this? What about the Cardinals at home? It opened up as them as a favorite against the Rams, but now they are a dog, a short dog, two and a half and three in other places. What are your thoughts? I really like the Cardinals here. I'm glad you asked. <laughs> you, you, you took the transition like a pro. Uh, I, the Cardinals are the most interesting game on the board this week, and it's actually, in sort of the gambling Twitter, Twitter sphere, been the game that people are having the most questions about and there's the most debate about. And I do feel like while, while certainly the Rams had their troubles against San Francisco, there are things that – and the, the Cardinals are – let me finish my first thought. The Cardinals are coming off a couple of bad weeks, especially a bad loss against the Patriots, in which Cam Newton, you know, he didn't even throw for the length of the football field. But they got that, – that's a, a sort of check-the-box score game, right? Because the Cardinals could have won if their field goal kicker made a field goal at the end of the game. They gave up some really bad special teams plays, but they essentially dominated that game. And they did it by pressuring the quarterback. And Jared Goff is horrible against pressure. He's one of the worst quarterbacks in the league against pressure. So you're giving me a team that is undervalued in the Cardinals because of the way they've played and a team where people probably still think there's an issue with Kyler Murray's shoulder, which I think he's okay. And you're getting a defense that can pressure a quarterback who's not very good with pressure and that team has not been the same since they lost their left tackle, Andrew Wentworth. So all those reasons, I like the Cardinals. you got a lot of short dogs all over the place this week. you got Houston. you got Atlanta. I don't like other, any of those teams, but do you like them in these spots? Atlanta played very well last week, by the way. And you got the Saints, who are tough to read with Hill. You, know, you, know, you don't never know what they're going to do game plan-wise from week to week with him. And, you know, the Colts uh, – they right when you want to buy into them, they disappoint you. Yeah, I would buy in. Um, I think now is a good time. It, this is a very buy low, sell high situation. You've got the Colts coming off a beating from the Titans at home. You've got the uh, you've got the the Texans who just beat up on the Lions the last time people saw them in a game that they looked even better than you would expect the team to look against the Lions. Like J.J. Watt had a great game. The defense had a great game. But a couple things to consider here. Number one, Frank Reich is just a better coach than Romeo Cornell. Uh, their defense, despite what it looked like against the Titans, is just much better than the Lions. They're not going to look as – they're not going to make the Texans look as good as they did. And um, Will, Furl, Will Fuller being suspended – has an impact on the Texans' offense. There have been times this year where Deshaun Watson has talked about the chemistry he has with Will Fuller. There was a time this year where there was talk of trading Will Fuller and Deshaun Watson being adamantly opposed to it and publicly being opposed to it. There was a chemistry there. He helped make stretch the defense in ways that no one else on the Texans has been able to because of his relationship with Deshaun Watson. Um, there's a trust, and I think that has an impact. So um, the Colts are going to be the the short home the short road favorite that I actually like how do you feel about this Titans Browns game it opened up with minus six for Tennessee it's pretty much around five and a half everywhere except for bed MGM which is six and a half I think it's yucky <laughs> it does um, scream that way <laughs> yeah I don't want I honestly I don't want anything to do with it like I, I, the Baker Mayfield is the biggest mystery in football to me because he is the face of that team and they win in spite of him and it's going to be really interesting to see how far this team can go because it is not a team that wins on his shoulders. You see it every week and even last week, like just missing really 
easy throws. And this is a team that's winning on the running game. It's winning on defense. Um, but the Titans, on the flip side, and these are the reasons I'm not betting it. Like, I have no faith in Baker. Uh, I don't like the Browns. Like, I'm not convinced of the Browns overall. But I'm not convinced of the Titans either. Like, the best thing they have going for them is Derrick Henry, who's a monster in the late season. And while I'm impressed with sort of some of the wins they've had, I still am thinking about the Titans from earlier in the year where they were truly consistent, and it's clouding my judgment. All right, uh, Chad Millman from the Action Network. As uh, We'll close out with this, and then we'll get to your favorite play of the week. Um, Packers opened at six, six and a half, up to nine, eight and a half, most places eight and a half over Philly. I feel like every week people are waiting for Philly. Is now a time to dump a bunch of money because Philly is like in these games. They just, you know, they, they find ways to lose. They can't score. But the Packers seemingly beat up on everyone. Do you like them in this spot, though, against a team like Philly who's not shown any sign of life all season? It's so gross, but you have to do it. You really do. Um, and look, it's not dissimilar from a little bit of of what we talked about with the Cardinals. Obviously, the Eagles are trash, but um, they can get pressure on the quarterback, which is not great for Aaron Rodgers. Uh, I don't think that the Packers will be able to run all over the Eagles' defense. And I do think that Miles Sanders can make a dance against the Packers' defense uh, in the rushing game. So there are ways for the Eagles through a ball control, uh, uh, ball control game plan to keep this game close and as we saw like they're also a team where doug peterson because of the way he calls plays you can expect him to maximize the opportunities for points and in a as we saw a backdoor situation that is just ugly and also don't forget like i think we've talked about this the eagles were in the dumps last year went on the road to green bay and they won so it's not out of the realm of possibility that this is a team that somehow gets its act together, um, although that's not something I'd be betting on the money line. All right. Uh, your favorite play of the Sunday card is what? Well, we did hit it. We hit the Cardinals, which was, which was absolutely my favorite play. But the other game that I'm looking at is the Falcons as three-point home dogs. And, look, they just played the, the Saints two weeks ago. I was all over the Falcons in that game. Um, because it was Taysom Hill coming back, uh, starting, and the Falcons were playing really, really well. And then they kind of, you know, they didn't play so well. And they scored nine points, and they were only scoring field goals, and the Saints defense played great. But I do think now that they've – that was also a week where they didn't announce Taysom Hill was the quarterback until late in the week, and I think um, the Falcons were prepping for Jameis Winston, and they just weren't prepared for Taysom Hill. Now they are. And he hasn't played well. And I do think that that game was probably an anomaly. Um, so I will be on the Falcons as home underdogs. All right. There you go. Make sure you keep uh, checking out the actionnetwork.com. You could shop the best lines uh, all over and uh, all the different apps, whatever one you use. You can find out what the line is at each one and kind of shop it around. Uh, money lines, totals, spreads, public betting, where all the odds are going for every sport, not just the NFL, college, college basketball, soccer. We're on it all the time, and Chad is with us on Fridays here to kind of take a look at some of the weekend action. He's Chad Millman from the ActionNetwork.com. Thanks, Chad. 
Thank you. Enjoy the weekend. You do the same. And, of course, he, like August, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda hotline. And I think the fact of the matter is this. That Eagles line, as you just saw, it is moving up because no one remembers the fact that they went there on Thursday night last year and won that game. (laughs) That's the way that I see it anyway, right? Yeah, no doubt. It's just so hard to think that this team can do that. It's been bad. Real bad. Like, the life has been sucked out of me. As it should, though. Okay. <laughs> Have well, a cup of coffee. Sports Bash brought to you by GMS Law. Make the right call. Don't watch that game on Sunday. With four convenient locations to serve you, visit them online at gmslaw.com. All right, we got headlines on the other side. We'll look at what's happening around the league, around the sports. We got that Sixer schedule. It is now out. We'll break that down. Mosher, Damoski, uh, PT on the happy hour Friday. Casey Joyner, don't go away. Your home for Scarlet Knights football. Right up the turnpike for the Rutgers touchdown. Catch every play. Breaker coming. Yeah. He's going down. Back to the Sports Bash on 97.3 ESPN. All right, Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. The Sixers' schedule is out. We got the Nuggets for you. It's a very odd schedule because it's like a first half. They don't have a second half schedule. The way they did it, it's a little weird, so we'll break it down for you, give you some thoughts there. Got some headlines, though. Yes, we do. And also, there's a lot of action this weekend. All right, college basketball, college football. You have the NFL. Soccer. Absolutely soccer. You're such a soccer'sman now. You no, I don't watch them. Uh, you're right. You said it and forget it. But it doesn't matter. As long as you're making the money, that's what matters. And you can make money through DraftKings Sportsbook. You get a deposit bonus up to $1,000 when signing up using promo code 973. So download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app right now. Use that code 973 for the chance to earn a deposit bonus up to $1,000. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey. Only gambling problem. Call 1-800-GAMBLER. So you got uh, something you want to hit on first, or do you want me to kind of... Go through the uh, nuggets of this schedule. Well, let's start with the Sixers schedule because what I have for you that I want to touch on is also NBA-related. But we'll go Sixers first. All right, so the Sixers announced the uh, schedule for the first half of the season. So they open the season on December 23rd against Washington. Then they play uh, nine times on national TV in the first half of the season. They will face Brooklyn, by the way, January 7th on TNT. Five times on NBA TV. Uh, the first half of the schedule is comprised of 37 games. They got 19 at home, 18 on the road. The schedule for the second half will feature the final 35 games that will be released during the latter part of the first half of the schedule. They want to minimize travel for teams that play twice in one market. The NBA has scheduled series of games where both games will be played consecutively, and the Sixers will play five of these first half series, three at home, two on the road. They open the road schedule at Madison Square Garden on Saturday the 26th against the Knicks. The team that has a road back-to-back at Cleveland the following night and included in the first half schedule is a four-game West Coast road trip. They'll make stops in Sacramento, Portland, Phoenix, and Utah. They have a matchup with Portland. It's on Thursday, February 11th. That'll be on national TV. Then they have Chris Paul, Devin Booker, and the Suns. That's on Saturday, February 13th. They face off with uh, Atlantic Division rivals Toronto three times in the first half. Uh, Denver, they'll be here on Saturday, January 9th, so it doesn't look like fans will get a chance to see them. 
Um, so there you go. I mean, they'll play. Oh, LeBron and the Lakers will be here on January 27th. That will be the only time they're in town, so you won't get a chance to see them, I would imagine. Um, yeah, there you go. Can't wait. I really can't. And uh, what I wanted to touch on, i got a couple NBA things, but the 76ers specifically, Ben Simmons spoke to the media today, and he, and he brought up the accountability stuff that was a hot word thrown around towards the back end of last season when Brett Brown got fired, but he talked about that bubble environment and, and the lack of accountability in that, and he also brought up the Clippers as well, who underachieved in the bubble, and I just think it's fair to look at, well, Doc Rivers is here, and we should be excited. To be fair, we should be excited that he is at the top here, but there were there were accountability problems with his former team as well, and I just think it's interesting that that word is being thrown around again, even though there was a lack of yeah. accountability in, in L.A. I think Ben Simmons, though, hit the nail on the head. Okay, We all want to try to give grief to Brett Brown and blame him for all the team's problems. Here's what I noticed, and I heard you guys talking about Brett Brown a little bit yesterday. And I wanted to interject this, so I'm glad you brought it up. Let me ask this question. For all the Brett Brown haters out there, are your expectations for this team any different now that there's a new coach? The answer to, for them is, is probably yes. They're lying to you. Okay. Well, that's I don't that's think fair. there's anybody out there that thinks the coaching change gets them out of the second round. I want to hear from the people. There's a lot of Brett Brown haters out there. I know. I know. So all these guys who hated Brett Brown and thought he was the problem, they fixed the problem that you felt was the biggest. So then, shouldn't your expectations now change? If you felt the biggest problem is gone and the biggest they couldn't get out of the second round, now last year they didn't get out of the first round. So those jackasses would say, well, they got out of the first round. They, got, they didn't have Ben Simmons last year. That's a big loss in your first round. But I get it. They weren't a favorite in that series. And it was, you know, highly disappointing with what happened with that season. And look, I'm on board. Brett needed to go. But I didn't think he was the biggest problem they had. So if you were a Brett Brown hater, they replaced him. If he was the biggest problem they had, he has been replaced. So has your expectations now changed? And if the answer is no, then the coach wasn't the biggest problem. The answer is no, at least for me. You know, I, I look at this team and I am excited for the way that they are built. It makes more sense. Overall, I am still excited for this team because I think the team is going to flow better. You will have better spacing. You're going to get a new identity. So from that aspect, I am excited for it. But I don't look at this team and think that they have a roster NBA title worthy. They just don't. You know, they have a roster that makes more sense, but they're still away. They're still a little bit away from being in that first seed, second seed type category. Well, again, yeah. I mean, and a lot of that is because they don't have a good enough roster. It's That's not, exactly why I feel that way. Yeah, it's not because the, the coach, they don't have a good enough roster. If it was simple as the coach was their biggest problem, they changed the coach, and now all of a sudden your expectations change, I think that tells you everything you need to know about the problems this team has had. It wasn't the head coach. It was they didn't have a good enough roster. They've now changed the coach, and people are not saying, okay, now that they changed the coach, that should take them over the top. You're not hearing that. And guess what? There wasn't a coach that they could have hired. So if you don't like Doc Rivers, they could have brought in any coach out there, and it wouldn't have changed the expectations for anybody. Nobody's expectations would have said, now this is a finals team.
because they changed the coach. You arguably got the best coach available, too, right? So at the end of the day, you got possibly the best guy you could have even gotten, and your expectations still are what they are. So to go back to the accountability thing, Ben Simmons said something today, and I'm glad that he's brought it up like this. He said it. No coach, essentially, this is on the players. It's on the players to be accountable. If the players don't want to listen to the coach, it's not. It's on them. The coach can't make the players want to be accountable. The players have to want to be accountable. And he said, I don't think that we had a group last year collectively that wanted that accountability. Now, you would say, well, it's a lot of the same guys. Well, some of them are gone. Josh Richardson, Al Horford. And maybe the coach can change the the um, culture culture in the room, but a lot of that comes with more experience, more just, you know, you're a young guy, you don't want to be accountable, now you're a year older, just like everybody in life. When you were 24, you didn't mind going out, drinking until 3 o'clock in the morning. When you were 28, 3 o'clock was a bit excessive, you decided, although a lot of people at 28 are still making that bad decision, but you know what I'm saying. You're as you get a year older, your priorities change a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. So, as Ben Simmons said, it's not the coach's fault that we, as young guys, maybe not blaming himself, just in general as a group, didn't want to be accountable. That's not on the coach. That's on the players. The players have to want to take that accountability on. And adding someone like Danny Green, who has won multiple championships, adding Dwight Howard, who I was a little skeptical skeptical at the time. Even the though- Dwight Howard thing to me is the most bonkers. The, you're right. I know where you're going. And yeah. it's the most bonkers thing is that you actually now trust that he has grown up. Like he his drinking days are now behind him, partying till three o'clock in the morning, and that you're like, you know what? I do believe that he is here for the right reasons. Right. It's like he he is accepting. I had an ego problem. I had a problem with who I was as a player. But once I committed to this role, I've changed. I've completely changed my outlook on my career. And I didn't know if that was the case until I've heard him speak two times. Now I do wonder though. You know, there is no LeBron in this locker room. And if things do go a little sour, a little ugly. There's no LeBron in that locker room, and that's always going to be in the back of my mind with Dwight Howard. Now, it does seem like he changed, but there isn't that big voice that you had in L.A., so let's say something does seem to go wrong for a month or so. Will it be the same version of Dwight Howard that we're hearing right now in the press conferences before the season starts? Yeah, I mean, it seems that Howard is being looked at as a leader, and it's like, He went to L.A., played with LeBron, and won a championship out there and kind of figured it out. Like, you know what? It's pretty cool to win a championship, and I had a role on that team. And I didn't need to play 30 minutes a game to have a lot of fun. It's pretty wild, though, because he used to dominate the league. Imagine thinking about Embiid one day giving you seven points and seven rebounds after seeing him play at this level. That's essentially what Dwight Howard is. He's an eight-time All-Star a three-time Defensive Player of the Year. He's number two, I believe, in NBA history in rebounds per game average behind Dennis Rodman. And he was the number one overall pick in the draft. He's been to an NBA Finals as the number one overall pick, leading that team to that spot. And now here he is. Now, keep in mind, he was drafted out of high school. So he has played as a young kid being in – immature, making mistakes, been the knucklehead, 
vagabonded around the country. He was on Houston and Charlotte and Atlanta and traveling all over the place. And then finally was like, dude, enough of this. Finds a spot, gets a role, wins a championship. Pretty cool story. Yeah, that's where I think you'll have value with Joel Embiid. Hey, I was once you. This is where I failed. This is what you can do to, to finish off the job. Just think about that, though. You're counting on Dwight Howard to get to... 2020, Gil. It is 2020. It's a good point.